0: Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Instructional Design Career podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping new and aspiring instructional designers get the knowledge, skills, and confidence to stand out in the field and land their first corporate instructional design job. I'm your host, Jill Davidian, and think of this podcast as a way to put my over 20 years of corporate ID experience in your back pocket. I've helped over 500 new instructional designers successfully transition into the field, and I know what hiring managers are looking for. Whether you're looking for a career change and exploring if instructional design is right for you, or you know you want to become an ID and have no idea how to get started, you are in the right place. Join me each week for actionable guidance as we explore how to build your portfolio, transform your resume, and interview with confidence. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. So today, we're talking about a topic that has come up a few times this week. So as some of you know, we're in the middle of the instructional design jumpstart workshop. And this is a workshop that I run every few months. It's live with me for five days. And it's a great introduction to instructional design. And a question that comes up quite frequently is the difference between full time work and contract work. So in instructional design, There's lots of different work arrangements, so you don't have to work a full-time job that's 40 hours a week if you don't want to. There's different things that you can do, and so a lot of times people don't realize that there are different work arrangements, so they just don't understand the differences between the two. Some people think you can only work a full-time job, and some people think you can only work a contract, and you may have no idea of what any of those are, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's start with a full-time job. So a full-time job in instructional design is just that. You are working full-time for one company. This is typically a -a 40-hour-a-week job. It's Monday through Friday. The work hours can vary. It may be specific work hours that they want you to work, or it may be flexible where you can start maybe sometime in the morning between 8 and 9 o'clock and get off whatever your day is after that. You can take a half an hour or an hour for lunch. Lunchtime is typically unpaid with full-time jobs, but you're on salary. So what that means is that you won't get paid if you work any extra hours. You're going to get paid the same every week or every two weeks or every month or whatever it is that they pay. Typically, it's every two weeks, but you are usually not working over 40 hours a week. So most instructional design jobs that are full-time jobs are not super intense. There's a deadline here and there. There's things that you have to do. But usually, if you have a reasonable employer, and most employers are, they don't want you to work over 40 hours a week occasionally, you may have to work a few extra hours. But then there's going to be weeks where you don't have to work as many hours, you may not even work 40 hours. And so it kind of balances out in the end. And like I said, it's salary. So you're not getting paid for every hour you work, you are getting paid by the paycheck, you know, every two weeks, you're taking your yearly salary, dividing it by however often they pay. So if it's every two weeks, it would be divided by 26 paychecks a year. And that's just how much you get paid no matter how many hours you work. But usually, they're not taking advantage of you. Every 40-hour-a-week full-time job that I've had, except for one, has been great in terms of work-life balance. I haven't had to work any weekends, any evenings, anything like that. And that is also what I hear from the instructional designers that I have helped transition. They typically are not working extra hours. So the cool thing about having a full-time job in instructional design is... It's a steady paycheck. Can you get laid off? You can if something happens with the company. But as long as you don't get laid off, it is a steady paycheck every week or every two weeks, like I said, however often they're paying you. And you know how much you're going to be making. So you can expect the same amount every time you get paid. Like I said, most of them pay every two weeks or so. Now, people do worry about layoffs in the corporate world, especially if you're coming from education or some other field. And the nice thing about the corporate world with instructional design is that training is needed everywhere, literally everywhere. So if it does happen to where you get laid off, it could be that maybe a certain industry is not doing well, like tech or something like that. You can go get an instructional design job somewhere else and training is going to be needed pretty much everywhere. So that's one of the benefits of being in instructional design is it's pretty easy to get a job if that ever were to happen. Now, these full-time jobs, like I said, salaries consistent, they also have benefits. So that means that you're getting health insurance, you're getting paid time off. A lot of them may have anywhere from, the lowest I've seen is two weeks, but that's pretty rare these days. So it could be anywhere from very, very low in two weeks all the way up to three, four, five weeks paid vacation. Sometimes there's a paid time off bucket which means that any sick time or anything else, any other time you want to take off, you don't really have to account for what you're doing with that time. It's just a big bucket of time off, whereas other jobs will have sick days, vacation days, etc. And so, you know, sick time, you may get a couple of weeks, you get paid most federal holidays. And sometimes there are other perks as well. A lot of companies offer retirement benefits, which means that it's usually in the form of a 401k, And you put in a certain percentage, and then a lot of times they match it. So let's say you put in 5% of your salary, they would match 5% of your salary. Every company is different in terms of if they offer a match and how much that match is. Some may match up to 3%, some may match up to 8%. It really just depends on the company. So that's another benefit that often comes up. A lot of companies will pay for professional development. So say you want to go to a conference or you wanna buy some books, or things like that related to your field, they'll pay for that. There's lots of other fringe perks and things like that that companies pay for. A lot of times if you're working remotely and many of these jobs are remote, they will have a once a year, maybe in-person meeting. They'll get everybody together. Sometimes it's twice a year. It might be if they have a corporate office, it might be at some other interesting location. And so they'll fly you over there or they might occasionally fly you into the office if you are working remotely from another location, which is an option. You do not have to be located where the employer is most times because a lot of these jobs are remote. And so you might get a trip out of it where you get to fly and go meet your colleagues and manager and all those types of things. Also, a lot of these full-time jobs offer annual bonuses. So what that means is that you will have an annual performance review which means they will review your performance for that last year. A lot of times it is at the end of the calendar year. And based on that performance review, if you get what they call meets expectations, which means you did your job, you weren't amazing, but you also weren't terrible. You just did what you were supposed to do. You will get whatever the standard annual bonus is. And usually an annual bonus can be anywhere from five to 15% of your salary. So, If you have a 10% annual bonus, let's say you're making $80,000 a year, that would be $8,000 that you are getting every year at the end of the year, usually sometime around the holidays, but not always, it could be afterwards, but you're getting that every year. Now, if you have a higher performance review, meaning it's above meets expectations, you may actually get a higher bonus. And so this is a really nice thing that a lot of times other fields don't have, and so a lot of people aren't considering, is that it actually adds to your salary. So if you're getting an $8,000 bonus, let's just say, for an $80,000 a year salary, that is $88,000 a year. And so that's an important thing to consider. So that is with a full-time job. Now, one other thing I want to mention is that when it comes to the flexible workday, a lot of times... People are very concerned when they're coming from other fields about vacation, time off, are you going to get a summer off, or are you not, or all of these things. And one of the things that I've heard a lot of people that I've talked to that I've helped transition into the field say is that they don't even miss all of that time off because they're able to be flexible during their day. So like I said, sometimes the start time is flexible. Sometimes you can do doctor's appointments during the day. If your kids are home sick. And you need to have them around. You're in a meeting, but your kids are right there. A lot of times your employer's not going to care unless you're doing some formal presentation or something like that. Or if they have a day off from school, or if you want to go work from another location, say you want to go work from, it could be another location like a coffee shop, or it could be another location like you're traveling. Let's say you're going to go visit your family in another city. You could just go work from there. So you don't always have to take time off. So it feels a lot different because you're not always constantly having to take time off. Now, I will caution that if you are going to travel abroad, many times that doesn't work so well with full-time jobs because they do keep tabs on the computer that they give you, which they will give you a computer, and they will give you all the software and everything that you need, but they are monitoring it. So if you now show up outside the country, sometimes they're like, whoa, red flag, what's going on here? So you have to be careful If it's a global company, they may not care. But if it's a company that's only based here in the U.S., they may have a problem. Typically, they don't have a problem if you travel in the U.S., but it's outside the U.S. where that's an issue. So that hopefully gives you an overview of a full-time job and what to expect. Now, the flip side is if you want to do contract work. And so usually people want to do contract work when they want more flexibility. They don't want to work 40 hours a week. They don't want that predictable... Every week it's going to be the same because maybe they have other life responsibilities. They're in a different phase of their life at that time. And so contract work is where you do job assignments that have an end date on them. It could be six months. It could be two years. It could be three months. There are lots of different lengths of time for contracts, but there is an end date. A full-time job doesn't have an end date. Now, could it end at some point? Yes, But there's no end date when you go into getting the job. When you first get the offer, there's no end date. Whereas with the contract, there is. If you're ever confused about if something is a contract or a full-time job, because sometimes it can get a little tricky trying to tell the difference, first of all, just ask. And second of all, find out if there's an end date, because that's going to tell a lot. If there isn't, then it's probably not a contract. Now, with contracts, you don't work for the company directly. So for example, let's say a large bank is going to hire contractors. They're not going to hire them directly. So typically what happens is if they want to hire contractors, it's because they don't need ongoing help in their training department, for example, where they might have full-time people. They might have a specific project that they need to roll out. Let's say they're implementing a new software system, but once they roll out the system, they no longer need the contractors anymore because it's now been implemented. Or maybe it's a new training they need for new hires, but once they have the training, they can just move on and and go with it. And they don't want to hire somebody for a full-time job because they don't need help ongoing. Or sometimes there is a full-time team that is doing training for that company, but they have overflow. They have way too many projects. And just for maybe three, four, five, eight months, they need some relief. They need some help. But after that, it's going to go back to normal. And they don't want to have these employees lingering around. So they want to hire contractors instead. But the company is not going to hire the contractors directly. They're going to go through a third-party agency. So that is another way that you can tell if something is a contract is if the company that you're talking to about getting the job or the contract is not where you're actually going to be working or who you're actually going to be working with. And so in the case of recruiters... These recruiters could be recruiting for lots of different types of positions. They could be recruiting for that company for IT or HR or engineers. And so all of the positions that that company needs to hire for get handed off to the recruiter and they just might happen to be recruiting for an instructional design position. The other side of that could be training agencies. So what training agencies are, they are specific agencies that only develop training or hire contractors for instructional design to develop training for their clients. So they are companies that are solely there to develop training. That's all they do. So let's say that this company needs to develop some training and they want to hire contractors. Well, instead of hiring maybe the one contractor that they need through a recruiter, they're going to hire a company or a vendor to do the job. So for example, let's say you need to fix something in your house. You could hire a plumber that's like a individual person, like you know this person is a plumber and so you're going to call them directly and say, hey, plumber, can you come fix whatever it is? Or you're going to call a company that you maybe found on Google. You don't know the name of the person who's going to come out. You have no clue who's going to come out. All you know is the company is going to send a professional plumber to your house And you're hiring the company to do the job, and they're going to send whoever, and you're going to trust that they're going to send the right person. So that's kind of the difference. A lot of times, companies will want to hire and vet a specific contractor, and they'll have a recruiter look for that contractor, whereas other companies, whoever's creating the training, they could care less. And so there are these agencies that that's all they do is create training. They don't do any IT. They don't do HR. They don't do all these other things. They only create training. a bunch of different clients and they hire contractors after they get the contract so they will go to the bank or whatever the company is and pitch them and sell them and get the work so that they now have a contract with that company but then they have to hire contract instructional designers to do the work and they typically don't have full-time instructional designers working with them because the work varies they have all these different contracts of three months and six months and all over the place And they typically will have a pool of contractors that are like basically on call. So they'll call them when they need them. And that way, they're only paying them when they're on a contract. They're not just like sitting around when they don't have any work for them. So those are two different ways that you can get contracts. And the really cool thing about contracts is that people think, oh, my goodness, contract work means I'm not working for a company. I have to get my own contracts. So i got to be a salesperson now. I've got to go sell my services to this companies that need to hire me. And you don't have to do that. Contracts are all over Indeed.com and LinkedIn.com and pretty much any job site. All you have to do is change the work type from full-time, part-time contract. You just change it to contract. And you'll see if you put in instructional design as the search term or instructional designer as the search term, all these contract positions come up. Now, there are different types of contracts. Like I said, you can do a contract where you're working 40 hours a week, or you can do a contract where you're working 20 hours a week, or you can do a contract where the hours ebb and flow every week and you don't really even know how many hours it's going to be. So there's different types of contracts, and this is where it gets a bit confusing. There are W-2 contracts. And so if you know about W-2s, W-2 is that tax form that you get at the end of the year, that you use to file your taxes. So typically when you get a W-2 at the end of the year from a job, it's a job, like it's a full-time job. And so what happens is that we call them W-2 contracts because you technically do have a job, but you're employed by the contracting company, whether that's the training agency, whether that's the recruiter, whatever model it is that this position is going through, that's who you're employed by. And you will get a W-2 at the end of the year. So technically, you have a job, but it's a short-term job. And so that's called a W-2 contract. So in the eyes of the government, you are actually employed for that period of time, but there's still an end date. This confuses people because they think if they're actually employed by this agency and they have to fill out the government documents that you have to fill out when you become an employee, which you don't fill out as a contractor, if this new instructional designer has to fill out those documents, they think, well, I must be an employee, like ongoing, this must be my job. And it could still be a contract. That's why you have to ask, is there an end date? If it sounds like you're not actually going to be working with the company that's hiring you, and you're gonna be working with somebody else. Ask that question. Now, many W-2 contracts, people think, oh, well, I must get benefits because it's a job and a full time job has benefits. W-2 contracts will sometimes mask themselves as providing benefits because you are a quote unquote employee, but they're usually not great. So they may say, oh, we have health insurance, but they usually don't subsidize any of it. So when you have a full-time job that is actually directly with the company 40 hours a week with no end date, they will typically subsidize some of your health insurance. So it's a lot cheaper. With a W-2 contract, They do not do that. So you're paying full health insurance. They may give you the ability to pay for it. You know, you can get it through them, but you're paying full amount for it. Or you maybe have to wait for it. You might have to wait three months or something like that where you can take advantage of it. And it may still be that you're paying full price. They typically don't have all the other benefits I mentioned, the 401k and all those other things. If they do, it's a really watered down version. The cool thing about W-2 contracts is that they are typically 40 hours a week. It is for a duration, whether it's three months, six months, a year, two years, whatever it is, but that means that you are getting paid for 40 hours a week during that time, and they typically do provide you with a computer, and that computer will have the software. Now, this kind of goes back into the other category I was talking about in terms of only being able to work. Usually in the US, because if you have a W2 contract with a laptop, just like full time jobs are probably watching it, they probably are going to be watching if you take that computer outside the country, you have to be careful with that. It depends on the company. Some companies don't care, but you have to kind of watch that. The plus side is that they send you a computer with the software typically, so you don't have to buy anything. And it kind of operates like a job, even though the benefits aren't great. And it is for a certain period of time. The other type of contract is what's called a 1099 contract, and these are all based on the tax form that you get at the end of the year. With a 1099 contract, you get a 1099 form at the end of the year instead of a W-2 to file your taxes. A 1099 contract, you are not an employee of anyone. You are an independent contractor. You do not have to have your own company to be a 1099. You can use your social security number and be a sole proprietor, which means you don't have to set up a company, you don't have to set up a tax ID, none of that. But because you are not an employee of anybody, even a temporary employee, they typically do not send you a computer. You usually have to buy your own software. So if you're using Articulate, Storyline, or Rise, you may have to go ahead and buy a license, which can be around $1,100 a year, depends on when you're listening to this, but right now it is $1,100 for the year. Now, it is a tax write-off because when you are not employed by anyone, you can write off your business expenses. So you have to buy a computer, you have to buy software, all of that. I would definitely talk to a tax professional to get more insight into that, but they're not gonna typically give you the software. The other thing is that they're gonna pay you for every hour you work, meaning, let's say, You are on a project where you now have to send off this draft that you created of this course to the subject matter expert and they're reviewing it. You're not doing anything. Let's say it takes them five days to review. You don't have anything else to do. If you had a job, you typically would be working on several different projects at once. So, when that thing is going off to the subject matter expert, you're now moving over to another project you're working on because the employer is going to be paying you regardless and they don't want you to sit there and do nothing. So, they're going to make sure you stay busy. A lot of times it's the same with a W 2 contract because they're usually guaranteeing you 40 hours a week. And so, one of two things is going to happen either they are going to keep you busy with other things or You're just going to get paid even if you're not working 40 hours because they want to hold your time as a placeholder. They don't want you to go off and do other things while this is with the subject matter experts and you're not getting paid. You might say, well, forget you. I'm going to go work somewhere else. They want to hold your time, so they're going to pay you anyway. With a 1099 contract, you might not get paid when you're not doing anything. So the hours ebb and flow. Some hours, when you have a deadline, you might be working a bunch of hours. And then the next week, the training that you've created is off with the subject matter expert and you're sitting around and you might clock two hours or maybe zero hours. And so it ebbs and flows. If you are interested in working part-time hours, and I know a lot of people do for the flexibility of whatever their life situation is at the time, 1099 is actually a great option but it also means that the hours have been flow, maybe this is not your primary source of income and you just want something to do for a few hours a week or whatever it is, 1099 is great. So a lot of times what people will do is they will stack contracts. So for example, with 1099, let's say you have three or four part-time contracts, it then equals like a full-time job, but because they're all part-time contracts, they're a lot more flexible. With part-time contracts or with 1099 contracts, they cannot dictate your time whatsoever. So difference is, let's say that there is a meeting coming up with a subject matter expert. With a W-2 contract, they're going to assume you're going to be working for them 40 hours a week because that's what they're paying you for. And it's the same thing with a full-time job. So they may say, hey, there's a meeting on Thursday at 2, be there and you're like, okay, I guess I gotta be there, right? Because they're assuming you're working Thursday at two because that's part of your work hours. With a 1099, they're asking you, are you available Thursday at two? If not, when are you available? They're not assuming that you're available at any specific times because your time is yours and they're gonna find out when they can schedule the meeting and work it around your schedule and the subject matter expert schedule. Of course, if you're never available for meetings, they're probably gonna kick you off the project. But they're going to be flexible with your hours because you're not an employee in any form, even a temporary employee. I really liked this format, which is why I would stack contracts that were 1099, because no one could dictate my time. Everyone was asking me when I was available. But yet, because I had so many contracts going, I was still making a lot of money. I wasn't just working part-time hours, but I wasn't stuck in this full-time situation of, my time being slightly more locked down. Now, employers are pretty flexible if you have to have a doctor's appointment and things like that. But I just don't want to have to tell anyone. I just want to be flexible. I also want to be flexible to travel. And so that's really why I went into contract work in the first place, because for the first eight years of my career, I worked full time. But when I switched into contract, the reason why was because I wanted to travel internationally and I wanted to do it for months at a time meaning I need to work while I'm gone. I don't want anyone sending me a laptop, tracking my laptop, all of that. So I would stick to 1099 contracts. But there are pros and cons, right? Some people really like the flexibility. They want to travel. They want to work part-time or maybe they want to work more hours. And maybe some weeks you're not making any money and then next weeks you're making a lot. Other people really like the consistency of making the same amount every couple of weeks, having 40 hours a week, and they don't need all that extra flexibility. Now, you can even change depending on the year. So let's say maybe there's a mom who's pregnant and she has her baby and wants to stay at home for a while and she wants to work but doesn't want to work full-time hours, she could do 1089 contracts part-time. And I've helped people do that who maybe have young children or have life situations where they can't really work full-time and they don't want to. Maybe next year or in three years, let's say she decides, okay, it's time to go back to full-time work. You can switch that, right? Maybe there's some kind of an injury or something like that that's preventing you from really working a whole lot. You could do 1099 work. And then if that heals up and everything's great, you could go back to working full-time and you can switch back and forth. And it doesn't look bad to do so. So that's one of the really cool things about instructional design, as I was saying, is it's super flexible. You can do lots of different types of work arrangements, sometimes even at the same time. There's sometimes people who actually have a full-time job and do a part-time contract in addition because they have goals. Like they're trying to save for a house, they're trying to pay off debt, they're trying to pay off student loans, whatever it is. And they know it's for a finite period of time and they're going to be working like crazy, but they have the ability to do that. Whereas in a lot of fields, you're stuck to a certain model and you can't do that. So That's one of the really cool things that I love about this field is there's just so many different ways to work. So hopefully this episode was helpful and you now have a better understanding of the difference between full-time work and contract work and even the different types of contracts that are out there. I'm hoping that this gives you something to think about and you can decide which working model is going to be best for you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Instructional Design Career podcast. I hope you've gained valuable insights that will help you on your instructional design journey. Did you have a moment of clarity? Maybe you have some additional questions. Let's discuss in my Facebook group, which can be found in the description below and in the show notes at learningstrategyanddesign.com slash podcast. If you love the show and want to hear more, follow the podcast and give me a rating and review. Let me know if there's a specific topic you'd like me to cover or a guest you'd like me to have on the show. You can also check out more resources for breaking into instructional design on my website, learningstrategyanddesign.com. Stay tuned next week as I bring you more tips, tools, and strategies to jumpstart your instructional design career.